My name is Alex Rosa, and I'm our Family Life Pastor, and I'm excited to be able to kick off a brand new series with you all today. It's called Open-Handed Living. And this is a term I first heard from our friends at Southeast Asia Prayer Center, SEAPC. They're a missions organization that is based right out of Oakmont, Pennsylvania, and they help people all throughout the world. Now, you might know from their name, Southeast Asia was where their main focus started, but they really have missionaries and they send support all over. And this idea of open-handed living is the idea, the posture of giving up everything that we have for God and his kingdom and his glory, whether it be time, talent, treasure, and touch. And that's what we're going to be talking about over these four weeks. We're going to be talking about how can we Take what God has given us and give it back to him for his ultimate glory. And as we begin this series, it's important for us to know this. Open-handed living means not holding tightly to the things of this world. It's his posture of surrender. This idea that what we have isn't really ours, but it's God's. And what we can do is we can take it and we can give it. We can support God's mission through this world through what he has given us. And this is pretty countercultural, mind you. This is something that the world does not agree with. The world will tell us that what we got to do is we got to get as much as we possibly can, and then we got to get more, and then more, and then as we're holding on to it, we look around and see, do I have enough? Do I have as much as my neighbors? And then we'll feel happy, we'll feel satisfied. But it's a lie because all the stuff that we can accumulate is not gonna fill the void in our lives that is meant only for God. We can trick ourselves into thinking that, but if we get too far down that path, we're gonna be worshiped the idol of things and not the true and living God. A couple weeks ago, I was in our first session of Alpha. It's a small group that meets here on Friday nights. It's awesome. It's 6.30 to 8.45. If you have a friend, a coworker, a family member that doesn't know Jesus and you want to have a great way to introduce them to who God is, Alpha is the perfect place where you can bring them and we have food and a video and a discussion. And in the first video, there was this quote that I found deeply profound. It's written by a guy named Jim Carrey, and you might know him from the movie Dumb and Dumber. That's where I I know Jim Carrey from the most. And I love Dumb and Dumber. I think it's great. Uh, But it is not the wisest movie. Um, We have a quote for him, and at the bottom of it, you'll see that it says Dumb and Dumber. That was my mistake. This this isn't actually from that movie. Um, There's great quotes from there, big gulps, eh? But like, there's nothing that's like this profound. So if you're watching it, you're like, oh, wow, let's watch a wise movie today. Not this one, but it'll be funny. So, but Jim Carrey, probably years later, said this. I wish that everyone could get rich and famous and have everything they ever dreamed of so they would know that's not the answer. It's not the answer to get as much as we want. The world will tell you that if you just get famous, If you get all this money, all your cares and all your worries will go away because you'll have enough. And it's a lie because it's exactly opposite of what Jesus told us. When Jesus was on this earth, he said this, and it's recorded in the book of Matthew. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. Jesus is saying, it's not about hoarding as much as we can. It's about being willing to give it up that we find the true fulfillment that God has for us, where we can be aligned in the purpose that God has for our lives. But instead, what we do is we get ourselves so full of stuff sometimes that we don't have room to receive the true blessings of God. 
It's kind of like filling ourselves up with junk food right before a meal. Sure, I love pizza combos and I love Sour Patch Kids like the next person, but if that's all we're eating, when a nice meal comes in front of us, we're not really going to be able to enjoy it or receive it as well as if we were empty and we were ready to receive it. What we do instead of being willing to receive is we hold. We take and we hold as much as we possibly can. It reminds me of the character from Lord of the Rings, Gollum, who is this little creature that got obsessed with a magical ring. And if you've never seen that movie, that sentence probably makes no sense. But it's true, it's good. And and so he has this ring and he calls it my precious and he will do anything to keep hold of it, even if getting rid of the ring would mean saving the world. He's not willing to do that. And we become emotional hoarders with our stuff as well. We say, my precious, about our time and our talent, our treasure and our touch. We say, I worked hard to get this, to get to this position, to to accumulate what I have. I don't want to just give it away. But what we're doing is we're trading what is really good for something less than. Mark Lutz, my friend and the pastor of Lux Digital Church, who's back there right now. Um, sometimes I like to embarrass people, sometimes I don't. But he's right there if you wanted to say hi to him. Um, Mark, in a message recently said what we've done was we've traded feels good for what's actually good. We've traded experiences of good for the true goodness of God. God's saying, I have this full life, this abundant life for you if you just receive it. But what we got to do is empty your hands so we're able to receive it. Know this as we get into this message. Open-handed living puts us in the best position to receive the full goodness of God. Open-handed living isn't as much about giving. It is about that, but it's about understanding about what God has for us. It's about receiving the goodness of God. And this series, we're not in it to take your money or your time. We're in it to try to make the most of every opportunity we have, everything that God's given us so that we can have full and abundant lives, so that we can experience the life that God has designed for us. So today we're kicking it off by talking about time. Before we do that, let's pray. Dear God, right now I pray that you will speak to us, that your presence will be felt in this place. We know that you are here, that you are present, that the same Holy Spirit that worked miracles in the early New Testament church can work today, right now, that you are here, that you are present, that you are powerful. I pray that as we listen to you through your words, through your your Bible verses, through through what we're going to talk about today, that we will be changed for your glory, that we will be willing to to be encouraged and challenged by you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Nikki Gumbel, who is the leader of the Alpha Ministry, said this about time. Time is your most valuable possession. You can get more money, but you cannot get more time. It sounds simple, but it's true. There's no mulligans for our days. We can't do over our Thursdays as much as we want to. This isn't Groundhog Day. I'm not Bill Murray. We don't have the ability to go back and say, didn't really like that. Let's just try it again. Our days are finite. We have 24 hours a day, 168 hours in a week, no matter who we are, no matter in what stage of life we're in, no matter what our job is, we have the same amount of time. And God is asking us, how do you want to use it? How do you want to spend or invest the time that God has given us? 
A couple years ago, I was interviewing our youth intern at the time. He's now a minister out in New Mexico. He's a youth pastor out there. His name is Josh Battaglia. And I was asking him about his time during an interview. And I said, why do you want to use your time to be a pastor? Like, what motivates you? And this is what he said. I just want to be known as someone who made a difference. It sounds so simple, but it's so relatable. We want to have lives that have some kind of impact on more than just ourselves. If you're anything like me, I want to do this too. I want to have a life that leaves an impact on this world. I want to make a difference. I want people to know me as someone that isn't only about getting stuff, but is about something bigger and something grander than that. And in order to do that, we must look to God the creator of everything, the Lord of all time, to gain some wisdom for how we are supposed to live. And thanks be to God that he has given us wisdom. What he's done is he's spoken through people who have written his words down. We, we've collected all these words. We, we call them our Bible. And in one of the portions of the Bible is a guy named Paul, and he writes letters to different churches that started up after Jesus ascended to heaven. At this point, Paul, who would go around and start churches all throughout the world, he was in prison for his ministry, and so he was sending a letter to the church in Ephesus. And when he sent this letter, he understood time. He understood that he doesn't know at this point how much time he has left. And to the church in Ephesus, he said, So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools. But like those who are wise, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the world, what the Lord, sorry, wow, that's not not what the world wants you to do. That's the opposite of the message today. Let's take it two steps back. But understand what the Lord wants you to do. The world, on the other hand, is going to want us to spend time on ourselves, but the Lord has a greater purpose for us. I love when Paul says that we need to make the most of every opportunity. Why? Because there's evil days. Why? Because there's people around the world that don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Paul could confidently look around and see how the early church was getting treated and say, these days are evil. We could do the same thing. We can look outside of our borders and we can see, okay, what's happening in Afghanistan? What's happening in Myanmar? The days are certainly evil. But we can look inside our own borders too and understand that too that the days are evil, that there are people out there who desperately need a Savior, that we live in a lost world that has a Savior, that he wants to be in a relationship with people. And so what we have to do with our time, what we must do is help facilitate meetings between people that are lost and their Lord and Savior. And so as we talk about this, this leads us to our take-home point, the one point that this whole message is all about that I really pray that we take and live out in our lives ahead. And it's this, our time can be spent or invested. We have a choice with every moment, every hour, every day. Do we want to spend our time Or do we want to invest it? Do we want to waste it and get rid of it again? We can't get it back. It's gone once we use it. Do we want to invest it in something bigger than ourselves? Every single moment we're going to have that option. How do we want to be known? If we want to make this difference, we got to be willing to invest our time in things that matter But too often what happens, at least to me, is that my sinful nature starts to scream at me and say, but but this would be 
better. This would make you more happy. And then the world will go out and say, happiness is what it's all about. If you could just find a job that gets you happiness, if you can just be in a relationship that makes you happy, then that's all that matters. But it's a lie. It's not what God says. In fact, happiness isn't what we're created for. Nothing wrong with being happy, but it's not what we're created for. We're created to be in a relationship with Jesus and helping others to know who Jesus is. Happiness isn't what we're created for. Being in a relationship with Jesus and helping others to know Jesus is. That's what we were designed to do. That's who we were designed to be. This is something that I learned a few years ago. 2008, I got my first job in ministry at West Hatfield Presbyterian Church, and I was part of a church that had students that were coming from the neighborhood that didn't know Jesus, and that it, sometimes it was, it was hard times, sometimes it was easier than others, but not always was it happy. But I knew in those moments that, that God was putting me there for a purpose. One of my first objectives whenever I went to this, this church to be part of this ministry was to give people nicknames. Now, I know that's not probably the highest purpose I should have had, but it was the first thing I thought of because whenever I was in high school, I was given a nickname. A-Rod, and I like that nickname, and, and it's still a nickname that some people call me today, and I, it made me feel connected to the youth group. Uh, truth be told, he gave me a nickname Dung Beetle before that, which was not very good, but then he rectified it, gave me A-Rod, and I like that a lot. So I thought, I'm going to go into this ministry, I'm going to give people nicknames, we're going to have this relationship, it's going to be great, and then we're going to talk about Jesus, and so nicknames were the way I started. And my favorite nickname that I ever gave was the nickname Lampshade. Now, I know you might think, like, that's an awful nickname, but it's not, okay, because it's stuck. And if it sticks, then it's okay for some reason. I don't know. And so I remember one day, the reason I gave him the nickname Lampshade is I was up on stage playing worship for worship practice, and someone came up and said, Alex, you've got to run downstairs. Something happened. So you think, like, oh, man, what's going on? So I ran downstairs, and I get to the youth room, and there is a lamp broken on the ground, and there's a first-time guest, a seventh grader with a football in his hand. And he looked at me like a deer in headlights, like, what are you going to say? And in that moment, like, I mean, all these things are going through your head. Like, can I make fun of this kid? Can I joke about it? Can I say, hey, what are you doing? Should I just say, ah, don't worry about it? But instead I said, hey, Lampshade, you want to help me pick some of this stuff up? And from then on, he was Lampshade. And I love Lampshade. I got to know him. I got to know his story through, through playing football and basketball and video games together and seeing movies together. I found out that, that as he was growing up, he had a pretty tough upbringing. I started to realize that when I interacted with him, that there was times where he was the nicest student I had ever interacted with, and then there were times where he was just so angry at the world. And so to get into that, I started to ask him about his family, about his, his life, and what I learned was that his mother passed away when she was in her early 30s and he was a newborn baby. She passed away from Huntington's disease. And Huntington's disease, when it's passed down to, it has a 50% chance of being passed down to the kids. So his dad, Lampshade's dad, left the family whenever their mother passed away, knowing that this could be in his son and decided that he didn't want to have to build that relationship to lose that son like he lost his wife. Can't comprehend that decision, but he left, he went to a state away, got remarried, started a family, and Lampshade was taken in by his grandparents. His grandparents were very kind people. They had a lot of medical issues, but they loved Lampshade. But his reaction to this news was to act out as much as possible. He never got the test for Huntington, so later on in life, but while he was in high school, he didn't know if he was going to have a short life or a long life, and this anger would boil up, 
and he would act out. He'd get in trouble at school, he'd get kicked out of school, whether it was for drugs or fighting or whatever it was. And we had some crazy encounters at youth group. There was one time that I tackled Lampshade, which wasn't my... uh, it wasn't one of my best moments, but it happened. There was one time where Lampshade was smoking in the church, and I was like, man, that sounds, smells like cigarette smoking. So I go down a hallway, and I can see him with the door propped open smoking. I was like, Lampshade, can't smoke in the church. And he's like, I'm not smoking in the church. The cigarette's outside the door. So uh, take that. And uh, there was one time where he was cussing at me, and I was like, dude, you cannot be like dropping the F-bomb to me right now in the middle of youth group. What's wrong with you? And he tried to punch me, and I... I I uh, ducked it, which was great, great, because he was much bigger than I am, so uh, I, I would have probably been laid out, which, now that I said that, the idea that I tackled him earlier probably uh, shows my strength a little bit more. And so Lam- Lampshade and me had these, these encounters that were, like, not happy, but the relationship that we were able to form was worth it. And we got to know each other, and we got to talk about God. And, and although sometimes his life was not reflecting God, we got to bring it back and speak about Jesus. A couple years ago, I got a Facebook message from Lampshade. And I hadn't heard from Lampshade besides a call from him that was maybe a couple years prior where he said he was in a correctional facility, and I told him to call me when he got out. But then this Facebook message said, hey, I want to let you know that I was in the hospital for four years, And I am out now, but I'm dying of what my mom died from. He's 20 years old. It's one of those times where, like, I don't know if you've had these moments where time just seems to slap you across the face. And I started to think, what have I been doing that I didn't know about this? How was I not in the loop about being in the hospital for four years? I love Lampshade, and why wasn't I there? So I said, hey, I'm going to come visit you. So I went and visited him. He had just got out of the hospital, so he was with his grandparents again. We played a video game. I remember he beat me at that video game. We got to talk, though, and it was great. We got to reminisce. We talked about everything, the lamp, the cigarette, the... Uh, the punch, the tackle, it was great. We had all these, these memories and we got to talk about God and he got to talk about how he's, he's refocusing now that he knows what's left of his time on Jesus and we got to pray together and I said, Lampshade, I'm coming back. I'll be back here soon. So I left that day with full intentions of coming back in the next week or month or whatever. You know how time goes though sometimes. It feels like we have all of it. It feels like there's never going to be a lack of time, that it's going to go on forever. And then it gets full of stuff, and sometimes not good stuff. It gets full of things that we're we're wasting our time. Some of the stuff that in between me seeing him and a few months later when I saw him again, I got married, I got a new job, I moved, stuff that was important, but there was other time that I could have used. Eventually, a couple months later, it hit me like, what have I been doing? Why haven't I seen him yet? So I called him up and I said, hey, I got to come visit you again. I want to come see you. And his grandparents said, well, he's not here anymore, actually. He is in a, in a facility. He's gotten worse. So I went and I saw him, and he was in a hospital. He had a roommate, 31-year-old man that was paralyzed from the neck down. And we talked and we prayed and we chatted about movies And it was one of those times where it was abundantly clear that although there were probably more comfortable things for me to be doing at that time, there was nothing more important. There was nothing else that needed to scream loud enough to pretend that it was an investment of my time. I knew that these moments were an investment where we prayed with him, prayed for his roommate, and we got to talk. 
I remember those moments in the hospital so clearly because it really shook my life. It made me re-examine how am I using my time? Am I spending more than I'm investing? Am I wasting some of it? Where can I cut out to do things that matter? And I ask you the same question today. Where are you investing your time? Where are you spending it? Where is your time being wasted and where can you use it for God's ultimate glory? If we want to know what to do, I think one of the best things we can do is look to Jesus for his example. Not only his life, but what happened when people interacted with Jesus when he walked this earth. There's this cool stories all throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the, the Gospels where, where Jesus lived on this earth and they were being recorded, where people would come and they would flock to Jesus only to get a glimpse of him or a touch of his robe. They wanted to risk whatever it took to simply be with him, whether that was risking their, their pride or their dignity or their reputation or their time. Whatever it is, they wanted to see Jesus because they knew something that sometimes we forget, that a moment with Jesus can change everything. And there was this one time where Jesus illustrated this very well. He was in a village interacting with these two ladies. And it's recorded in the book of Luke. It says, As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. Sometimes it can feel like a waste to sit in prayer. The world will tell us that that is a waste of time, but it is certainly not a waste to sit at the feet of our Savior and to simply listen. I know solitude sometimes seems so scary. When, when I sit in solitude, worries and fears and anxieties kind of pop up in my head. But listen, when we're doing that, when we're quietly at the feet of our Savior, we're in the presence of the Lord of everything who has all the answers and who can assist us through every issue. It's not a waste to sit at the feet of our Savior. And at our hearts, I think that we don't really want to waste our time. As much as we can probably think of the time we do waste, we don't want to. I think that's really the heart of why when we're in line at the grocery store, we take out our phone and we're on it. It's not because we like wasting time. It's because we're like, am I just standing in this line? I could do something more productive. I could text someone or email someone or play a game or something like that. And we want to not waste our time. So what we do is we get ourselves busy but busyness is another lie that the world tells us because making the most of every opportunity doesn't mean being as busy as you can. Busyness isn't the answer to investing. There's a difference between wasting and investing. They're not the same thing. So getting busy isn't always the answer. Sometimes we just got to shut up and listen to the Savior and to be quiet and to hear his voice however long it takes to listen and through that time, God's going to reveal where we should be investing our time. So we got to sit at the feet of Jesus. What else do we do? In the book of Micah, the prophet Micah gave us some answers. He asked this question that came from the people, and then he goes through and talks about God's answer. It's recorded in Micah chapter 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? 
Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Some translations will say to do what's right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. Either way, justice or right or kindness or mercy or humility, all of that is what God has called us to do. It's what he's called us to live like. And why? It's because that's who God is. What Mike is basically asking is, God, what do you want us to do with our stuff? And God's saying, I don't care about your stuff as much as your heart. I want your heart, and I want your heart to be aligned with my heart. And he's a just God. He's a humble God. He's a merciful God. He does what's right, and he's kind. You look at Jesus, and you see that. Jesus came to this earth to pay for our sins because of justice, because our sins mean that we deserve hell and death. But because our God is merciful and mercy is not getting what we deserve, Jesus came, died on the cross for our sins so that we could have a relationship with God because he is merciful. So he says to us, do the same thing. Be just, be merciful, walk humbly, go throughout wherever we are in our friend circles, with our coworkers and our families and live those out. For us, however, that sometimes gets hard to understand. How can we apply those big things to every area in our lives? What can we do? What can't we do? Unfortunately, in God's word and in Paul's letter, there's no like helpful hints on how much media we should intake. There's never a point where Paul's like, hey, only spend like an hour a day staring at that small black rectangle that you have. The early church would have been like, this guy's crazy. We would have been like, oh, thank you, Paul. But, but for us, we need to figure out how to apply these things to our lives. And a guy that I found helpful to doing that is a man named Trip Lee. Trip Lee wrote a book called Rise. And in this book, he talks about how we should no longer be asleep in this world, but we should rise and live for what God has called us to do. And he helps us understand what to do and what not to do by talking about the gray rule. And here's the gray rule. Embrace things that lead you closer to Jesus and reject things that lead you away from Jesus. Sounds simple, but it's very practical. When we look at where we invest or spend our time, we got to think, what part of my day is being drawn towards God and what part of my day is being pushed away from him? And then we got to say, okay, what do I need to cut out? And then what do I need to say, okay, I'm doing this already. How can I restructure it for God's kingdom and glory? Paul didn't talk about how we could use our phones, but he did talk about something important to the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth was wondering, what do we do with our food? How do we eat and who do we eat it with? Can we eat food that's sacrificed to false gods? What do we do? And this is what Paul said to them. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And that's something we can apply to every area of our lives. Whatever we do, let's do it all for the glory of God. We must invest our interests, our hobbies, our work hours, our relationships, and bringing about God's glory. Not everything, again, is going to be detailed in God's word about how much time should we spend with our our kids in sports, how much time should we spend in the office, but we can look at it and say, what is bringing me closer to God and what is not? You see, the question is less, how 
is this okay for me to do? And more, if I can't do it for the glory of God, is it worth doing? Instead of asking, is this okay for me to do? We ask, is this even worth it if it's not going to bring about God's glory? And again, there's no easy catch-all. Some things for you might not bring God glory that it might for other people. Take movies, for example. Movies can be something that we can say, well, actually, is it worth it to be spending time or is it investing time to watch a movie? For me in my life, there was a specific point where investing time or watching a movie was investing my time. My youth pastor, Jamie Kendrew, invited me to see Lord of the Rings when I was in high school. At the time, I was someone who did not believe, I did not behave, But Jamie wanted to let me know that I belonged, and he wanted me to know that I was loved. And I love movies, so I said yes to go and watch Lord of the Rings. And I got to experience the the characters in that. I got to learn about Gollum, who I talked about earlier today, and I got to grow closer to my youth pastor and the friends that were there. And we had some amazing conversations afterwards, not only because there's some cool allegories in the Lord of the Rings for God, but simply because our relationship was growing. And so we had some conversations about God. So it's not the same for everyone, but we can look at our individual interests and say that, okay, God's given us interests for a reason. He's made us for a reason. How can we use what God's given us for his glory? The question is this, where are you already investing your time that can become your mission field? God has called all of us to be ministers. Wherever we live, work, and play, you and I are both called, if we believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, to be a part of his royal priesthood to tell people about Jesus. And so the question then is, where can we do that? Where are we already planted that we can use as our mission field to tell the world about Jesus? It's not always about cutting things out. Sometimes in these messages that, where can you cut it out? But right now we're actually thinking about how can we restructure? It's not always about changing what we're doing that's needed. Sometimes it's changing our intentionality for why we're there. Henry Blackaby in his book, Experiencing God, says that God is already at work around you. So it's not as much saying, God, can you start working with my hobbies and my friends and my family? It's saying, God, where are you working that I can join you in those things? Are there people where my kids play sports that are watching the game that want to talk to me? And if so, can I eventually lead them to know about Jesus? Can I point to Jesus in my conversations? When I play games, whether it's sports or it's video games or whatever it is, how can I carry myself in such a way that I distinguish myself from how other people are acting so that eventually people might say, what's different about you? Is there a friend that we can go and watch a Steelers game with or watch a movie with that doesn't know Jesus where we can build a relationship to talk to them about Jesus? Where are we already investing our time that we can use for God's kingdom and glory? This amazing thing happens when we're investing our time in things that lead to life change. It starts to make sense about this abundant life and the meaning that God has for that. It starts to make sense about how important it is for people to come to know Jesus. There's those moments like when I was spending time with Lampshade that it was unmistakable, but this is where I needed to spend time. And so as I went back and back to spend time with Lampshade and his his body got worse and his mind got less responsive, we still talked about God, we still laughed. But as he got closer to his end and when he finally passed away, it was a crushing, crushing blow on, on my life, on his on his grandparents, and we got to talk after it. But looking back, there's no mistake that that was an investment of time. 
One of the biggest things I learned from spending with Lampshade, especially in his last days, was that our time here on earth is short. It's shorter than we like to believe. In fact, we don't actually know how much time each of us have left. So there's no time to live thoughtlessly. There's no time to live in such a way that we're wasting more than we're investing. It is time to help our lost world come to know about Jesus and what we're already doing in the spheres of influence we are already in. It's time to let people know about the Savior that came and died for their sins because we have a lost world that's desperate for salvation, and we can be a part of that, something greater than ourselves, by starting by sitting at the feet of Jesus and then continuing by being ministers where we live, work, and play. And if we want to live that out in the week ahead, we could do it through this next step. I will invest my time in things that draw me and others to Jesus this week. It's time to spend less and to invest more. It's time to be about the infinite possibilities of the future and of eternity and not the finite time that we have now. It's time to not only be about what feels good, but instead to be about the true goodness of God. It's time to let our workplaces be known more for Jesus than they are for manufacturing or whatever we're about now. It's time to be uncomfortable in situations that are going to be investments for God's kingdom because it's worth it. Today, if you're in here and you're listening and you're saying, well, I don't know this Jesus that you're talking about. I don't know this Savior. I'm telling you, today it's time to make a decision to come to know him as Lord and Savior. We don't know how much time is left. Let's not waste any of it. Jesus desperately wants to come into a relationship with you. If you've never never heard how to do that before here at New Life, we say it's as simple as ABC. A meaning admit. We first admit, hey, we need help. We need a Savior. We need someone that's bigger than us. We admit that we're also sinners, that we fall short of God's perfection. B, we believe. We believe that God is the one true God and that Jesus came and died and rose again for you and me. And then we confess. We confess our sins. We confess our needs for our Lord and Savior. Right now, if you do want to make that commitment to ask Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior, we're going to pray. And I'd encourage you to pray alongside me, but make the words your own, in your own heart and your own mind. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear God, I believe that you are the one true God and that your son came and died for me because I'm a sinner. And you rose again from the grave to offer new life. Please forgive me of my sins and be my Lord, my owner, and welcome me into your family today. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.